Welcome to Stream Police, the podcast where we tell you what's good, what's bad, and what's ugly on Netflix. Joining me, as always, is Mr. Michael Seventy. How are you doing, Michael? Doing all right. And I'm John Otney. Last week, we were given three films to have the chance to review, uh, I think. Uh, we had... Uh, I think a 30 for 30 episode, maybe, or somewhere in there. Those are those are those are close to feature length. Um, Mario Bava's Black Sunday. Uh, there may have been another one in there. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> it was kind of a mess. But there was a clear front runner in a little 1968 outlaw film called Killers Three, uh, produced, co-written, co-starring Mr. Dick Clark. Uh, Michael, why do you think we went with that film? I think a big part of it had to do with the description. Uh, I, I don't remember the exact synopsis, but I know it said that uh, Dick Clark and uh, Robert Walker Jr. rob a pile of money <laughs> and, and uh, a, a trail of blood follows them wherever they go. And just the idea of uh, a trail of blood following Dick Clark uh, is just too appealing to, to pass up on. And there's also some uh, some comment about like killing 37 people, right? A very yeah. precise number, but and a lot. That's a lot of people. Yeah, it's the punch card. If you get 37, you get like a free sandwich or something. And like Dick Clark, like America's teenager, like it's, it just seems like such an odd uh, combination of things. I think also Merle Haggard is in this film and provides some music for this film. So that was another. A draw just the the idea that him and dick clark you know get together to do a uh kind of like a bonnie and clyde type outlaw action drama or, or whatever you want to classify it as um but we'll get to that in a bit before that thought it might be fun to talk about some of the movies we've watched recently uh right before this we were just talking about interstellar which we've both finally seen it definitely took me a little while to go check it out I think that was uh, partially due to the fact that I I was kind of turned off by all the people that were ready to love it before it even came out. <laughs> yeah, That exactly. were just like like ready to say, this is going to be the new 2001, this is going to be the new 2001, and then they see it like, this is the new 2001. So, Michael, is Interstellar the new 2001? Uh, absolutely not. <laughs> but it, I also don't believe that it's uh, necessarily attempting to be that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I share your your frustration, or I, not even frustration. I guess amusement, really. Yeah. Uh, just that so many people were just kind of jumping the gun. I think ever since the trailer was released, and maybe it's just kind of a a general um, Nolan fanboyism, or just trying to you know everybody just kind of wants something like this to be a, a masterpiece. I guess I don't know. Um, yeah, I guess that kind of uh, turned me off as well but uh but having seen it though i i think we both um like it right yeah i would say <laughs> and uh yeah no and uh, <clears throat> despite uh you know the just barrage of of hype i think i think i was able to kind of assess it on its own terms and uh, overall i enjoy it um, one thing that I, just to get some of the negatives out of the way, one thing that I didn't like, and I'm, I'm wondering how you felt about it, mm-hmm. was uh, in the first act, there's a lot of expository dialogue, lots of exposition for, that, even even before the real plot itself kicks in, Right. Um, there's a lot, like, it, feel, it feels like a lot of John Lithgow's lines in particular, um, 
He finds a lot of different ways to say, look, Coop, you were a great pilot and a great engineer and your wife's dead, but we got it. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, like yeah, I mean, I, it, it definitely bothered me a little bit, but, uh, yeah. I like the performances and sure, sure. how that whole first half of the film was shot. I mean, the whole film is shot interestingly enough, but, uh, I don't know. This was a movie that had a lot of, I mean, it had a lot of exposition early on and it had a lot of explanation about things later. And I kind of felt like there's so much stuff to keep track of that I didn't mind them kind of holding my hand and helping me through this just so. Yeah. As, as being my guide. Um, yeah, I'll admit <laughs> that first half was probably a little clunky, but. Uh, sure, sure. It didn't bug me too much, I guess. I, I can't think of a lot of in the in the movie that I, I really disliked. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how much I understand it, but that's not that's not the movie's fault. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't get it. Movie bad. Um, that was definitely there's definitely a lot of old people in the theater that I saw it at that were kind of that like I didn't get it. Zero stars, you know. And you know that's what, how I review That kind of reminds me of um, you know I was just mentioning how there's those people that were getting ready to love it before they even saw it, and then. I don't know yeah. if other filmmakers have this, but there's also people that I feel like are just ready to tear apart the logic of Christopher Nolan films. And we're just sure. ready to like talk about how, oh, the science in this movie doesn't actually make any sense. Like suddenly everyone's an astrophysicist <laughs> and makes like these really confusing graphs about it. <laughs> and like, <sighs> yeah, there's just these such these, uh, these two sides of the spectrum and I, they, they, they both annoy me so much, but, um, yeah, I feel that. I think that if, uh, within the, within the logic of the film, like it, if, if the film says that this is how a black hole works or this is how relativity works, as long as it establishes that and stays true to that, having established it to be a certain way, then I don't, I, I'll never understand the impulse to, uh, and nitpick that with the the actual science of our real world because just from a storytelling standpoint why why would that be like a demerit against the film but it's not i don't know i mean yeah if i believe it within the confines of the film and what they establish is possible within this universe then of this film then i'm fine like i don't care if it doesn't make sense in the real world uh it shouldn't matter right yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I still I enjoyed the movie. I think uh, Christopher Nolan, uh, I, I love the fact that he's he's out there trying really ambitious ideas. Yeah, I think so. I think uh, and I think he's uh, just got a great like propulsive like he's got a knack for like really propulsive narrative uh just thrust you know like i think with this and inception uh especially he's really great at uh cross-cutting between like two different like planes of existence <laughs> like in this movie with the not to spoil anything but with mcconaughey and matt damon having some interactions on one uh you know dimension <laughs> and then in another uh jessica chastain and, and topher grace on on earth uh, the way that he keeps those plates spinning and, and just sort of uh, ratcheting up the attention to a, a great climax, a great release. Uh, he, ha- he has a knack for that that I think is uh, really, at, it, at its best, it's, it's kind of astonishing, honestly. And um, that's that's one thing that I always think Nolan does well. And, you know, 
even in like his movies that I'm a little bit, um, I don't know, more closer to being on the fence about, I guess, uh, that's still something that he's always, I think, really brought to, uh, to his films that, uh, that I like. <clears throat> oh, yeah, I'm excited to see where he can go from here because every time he does a new movie, I'm like, well, what can he do now? Like, that was so, like, conceptually huge. Like, what can he, yeah. what can he conjure up? I know for a while he was talking about doing a Logan's Rug remake, but I think that's a little beneath <laughs> him. Uh, <laughs> was he, uh, like, didn't he want to do a Howard Hughes movie, but then, like, The Aviator came out? <laughs> yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, his, do like, his would also have Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> maybe that, maybe Inception was his Howard Hughes movie, and we just don't get it. Like we don't understand why that's really Howard Hughes' story. And maybe Interstellar is his Logan's Run. <laughs> it's there. <laughs> I'm gonna make a really confusing graph to explain it. <laughs> it's gonna be like a cone that like goes in, and like here's all the layers. And here's where Logan's Run is, like Interstellar. Um, it's all connected. So. So let's see other movies that uh, we've seen recently. Uh, you told mm-hmm. me that you finally checked out Blue Ruin. Finally uh, checked it out. I'd love to hear yeah. what uh, your thoughts on that one. Yeah, yeah, I liked it. And in fact, I, 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 was, I had already um, kind of put it on my to watch list, but I think your recommendation kind of motivated me to actually uh, sit down and. <laughs> I mean, it's on Netflix. I don't know why I hadn't gotten around to this. I was just laziness but um really just well-crafted uh revenge thriller that's also kind of uh, a critique of the idea of uh, a revenge thriller maybe um maybe yeah you know I mean, it just to, in the sense that it's kind of uh some of the attitudes that fuel that uh, subgenre uh, this movie kind of shows the logical extent of where that would go. like I, d- d- what, <laughs> i'm sorry i'm stammering uh, what, what came to mind for me actually was, um, I don't know if maybe you uh, thought this too, but uh, Blood Simple actually uh, yeah. was the movie I kept thinking of. Because I think both movies kind of <clears throat> uh, show the, like, the logistics of you know that kind of crime and then the re- repercussions of that. Um, with this one, uh, it's less of like a God's eye view of it and more of like, you know, you're along with him on that, on that kind of emotional journey of, you know. But um, but yeah, I, I really liked it for that, and I think it's just so well made. Like there's a there's a couple set pieces there that are just directed in a way that um, you know. For I think this is his second feature and made under like a really small budget, relatively small budget, I guess. Um, but like that that home invasion scene, you know, it's just that that was really tense and really I think well constructed. Um, and, and I liked, uh, I forgot the lead actor's uh, name, um, Macon Blair, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought he did a great job, too. Of, uh, like, that's a, a role that you really need an actor that can uh, lend some credibility to that, to, you know, the, uh, that, you know, believe that he would actually go through with something like that and then have to deal with just the horrible aftermath of that decision. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I really liked it, honestly. You know, it's almost the uh, the first 15, maybe 20 minutes is like my favorite part of the movie before there's uh, really any dialogue in a way. The movie has yeah. such a strong sense of visual storytelling that I was kind of disappointed once I found out there, oh, there's characters are going to actually have conversations. Those were good too, but 
The suspense yeah. is so good when it's just, you know, like mute, and he's just like, you know, he'll look at like this item. I got to pick that up. I'm gonna use this to do that. I'm gonna do that to do this. You know, you're like you're saying, like you're you're you feel like you're with him, and yeah. in the first half especially, I feel like that's really intense, and I love that so much. I think that's very effective. You know, I wish. Uh, Big big budget uh, thrillers could learn something from that, you know. That it's yeah, yeah. it's about the slow burn that that's what really gets people on edge. Totally, you know, not Liam Neeson killing fifty people, <laughs> going real fast. Uh, but yeah, Blue Ruin. I mean, people should be checking that out. It's on Netflix. It's on Netflix. There you go. Also on Netflix, I think, isn't the Im- the immigrant right? Yeah, that's right. And you check that one out. Yeah, I saw that uh, just the other day, actually. Um, and I, I do, I, I should say that this is actually my first, uh, James Gray movie that I've seen all the way through. I haven't seen one. I don't, yeah, I don't think I've seen one. Yeah. And I, um, just based on this, I would say that he's got kind of like a, I don't know, like a very old fashioned sensibility, I guess, for lack of a better description maybe it's something that he's kind of adopted for this movie in particular but it, it's sort of in the spirit of i think uh maybe a, a melodrama of the era that this movie actually takes place in i don't know maybe maybe i'm just uh grasping for straws there because honestly this um as, as much as there are there are so much many things to admire about this movie just uh I don't know from the from the cinematography of it, where it's like this great like kind of diffused old photograph, basically that it really just uh, I don't know, it just evokes that period so well that you know it's I don't know really visually stunning. I, I hate to say it like that, <laughs> but there's no other way to say it. it's it's just stunning. And to the performances, which especially uh, Marion Coltar, is that how you pronounce her name? I don't know how to pronounce her name. I have no idea. Try <laughs> spelling that too. It's like the hardest name to spell. C O L something. Uh, she's excellent in it, though, and I think uh, this is a movie where there's a lot, a lot of close-ups of people's faces and a, a lot of emoting done just in in very subtle movements uh, within the face, and she just absolutely blew me away in this. I think. I've seen her in a few things, but honestly, I I, I was really blown away uh, by her. This this is the best I've ever seen her. Um, on the other hand, I actually kind of think that as even though Joaquin Phoenix and uh, Jeremy Renner are both um, really good actors, I think I think Joaquin Phoenix is one of the best actors working. Mm-hmm. And I think they're both good in this, but uh, without going into spoiler territory, I, I think that I, I would have kind of preferred different actors in the roles. Because I think that both of the characters, uh, there's a couple scenes that they really need to sell emotionally. I don't know. They need. It's so hard to describe without giving away the plot. But there are basically a couple scenes where I I, I felt like I couldn't buy the characters' choices specifically because Joaquin Phoenix and Jeremy Renner don't really. Uh, behave in the world that i think this movie is i don't know they're not compatible with the world that i think is being made here i'm this is so vague i I, you know i appreciate you keeping it vague because i i queued this i put this in my netflix queue yesterday yeah so i'm ready to watch it so if there's some spoilers (laughs) yeah i'm yeah well i yeah i do recommend watching it for sure yeah uh i'm i'm overall positive on it um i I think uh for one thing 
the closing shot is my favorite closing shot of the year and maybe my favorite shot of the year. I think it's it's absolutely fantastic. I think, again, the lead performance is great, and there are certain scenes in this that are just... Um, just <laughs> I'm so sorry that this is like the most vague review, <laughs> but uh, I would definitely recommend seeing this movie, and then uh, as soon as you see it, you can talk about it, and I'll be, be able to <laughs> speak without being <laughs> totally <laughs> blank about it. Okay. All right, sounds good. I look yeah. forward to checking that one out. Uh, another film that I checked out on Netflix recently, I guess it's a good time for Netflix, was uh, yeah. Happy Christmas by uh, from Joe Swanberg, yeah, who I yeah. believe is kind of thrown into the mumblecore mm-hmm. crowd. Um, Hardcore mumbling. Yeah, but but like, here, let me let this pass, this distortion. Yeah. But like the Duplass brothers, Joe Swanberg's finally got to the point in his career where he can, I don't know if he can just afford like more prominent actors or if he's just gotten that level of success. Because this is his second movie now working with Anna Kendrick, uh, his last mm. being Drinking Buddies, which I saw. And if yeah. you've seen that film or, you know, any of his films, you know, his style is just, it's like many of those mumblecore films. It's just people kind of live in their lives. It seems very almost... I don't know if I'd say boring, but just very ordinary. Um, get some more distortion. There, that's gone. But it's it's the it's the performances, the naturalistic, improvised performances that make these movies kind of enjoyable. Um, Anna Kendrick especially is, is very good in this. It's also got Melanie Linsky and Joe Swanberg is in the movie, and it's basically about um, Anna Kendrick is kind of this. Uh, irresponsible screw up 20 something who breaks up with her boyfriend and then she's going to go move in with uh, uh, Melanie Linsky and Joe Swanberg they're a couple Joe Swanberg's character is uh, Anna Kendrick's brother and he's a filmmaker and Melanie Linsky is a writer but she's had to sacrifice that because they now have a small kid and they are raising that kid and um, Melanie Linsky is going to try to like start working on her book again uh, but they don't really trust having like Anna Kendrick around their uh, kid because they feel like you know she's irresponsible so it just deals with these kind of little issues I think the most interesting issue that it, it delved into was with the Melanie Linsky character where it's you know how some people have to sacrifice their dreams and passions and over in, in order to uh, raise their family and it's kind of an interesting struggle yeah. and uh, and yeah I mean there's not really not much to say it's it's just it's just watching these people act like people i mean <laughs> they're just normal conversations but somehow they're interesting i don't know it, i could have i could totally imagine this being like the most boring movie ever yet <laughs> there's something about the charm and wit of the characters and what they talk about that makes it worth seeing and you know it's like 88 minutes so it's i mean it, anyone can do 88 minutes that's no problem <laughs> Uh, Al Pacino can do 88 minutes. Hey, <laughs> that yeah. movie's so bad. We gotta review we that sometime. Should it do 88 minutes? But, um, that movie's set in Seattle. Yeah. <laughs> Just as a little I, fun fact. <laughs> I actually, uh, I I haven't seen a Joe Swanberg movie yet, um, but I. I I don't know. I, I just kind of know him for his reputation, I guess. Just. Uh, how product, how prolific he is. He just, made, I mean, I think in 2013 he had like three movies that yeah. he directed out like in one year or something. 
I mean, he probably shoots him in like a weekend. Yeah, I mean, I don't apparently. know where he gets the money though. Yeah, I don't Maybe know. Maybe he it robbed would... a pile of money somewhere with Dick Clark. <laughs> yeah, they they did that a while ago. But yeah, um, and of course the title is Happy Christmas, but you know it's like it's more like non Happy Christmas. Yeah, I mean it's it's kind of part of the joke. I, I mean there's not even that much in in the movie that really has to do with Christmas. Uh, it's not really about that. But um, still, I mean I guess I guess if you want if you're looking for a Christmas movie this season, it's a new one to check out. I don't know, um, but. <laughs> It's kind of like Christmas. That's what they should have called it. It's kind of like Christmas. But I enjoyed that. Uh, just like I enjoyed Drinking Buddies for the same same kinds of reasons. All right. Then let's, uh, let's hit the road with our review of Killers 3. Seeing that bottle there is enough. I'm sure to blow up half a town. Just keep it to one safe, huh, Roger? Let's go. Probably just mix it in with the oatmeal like this a little bit at a time. Even even little Tony could handle it. But you, you see, you got to take the lumps out. Good oatmeal doesn't have any lumps. Just go easy, Roger. Hmm. We got everything. All you do is need the battery and the wire and the thing. Killers Three, 1968. Uh, I'll start with the plot here. So Johnny Robert Walker Jr. is a driver for a moonshine boss. And his old army buddy, Roger, played by Dick Clark, comes to visit Johnny. Um, and his, along with his wife, Carol, Diane Varsi, and their son, uh, Tony. And they uh, somehow come up with this plan in this small town that they're going to blow up uh, the safe of a bootlegger to steal $200,000 and head off for a new and better life in sunny California. Uh, but their plans fall apart when Roger uses too many explosives. <laughs> I guess that's what that's what ruins it all and draws uh, attention uh, and fed federal agents and Merle Haggard come after them. And it it turns into kind of like a Bonnie and Clyde type type film. Uh, So, Michael, I'll start by asking you this. Uh, Dick Clark's name is all over this movie. Uh, He's even got his own like font. I don't know if you noticed that (laughs) anytime his name shows up in text, he has a different font than everyone else. So So I want to ask you. Is this just a vanity project from Dick for Dick Clark, or uh, is uh, is Killers Three something more than that? Well, you know, as tempting as it is to think of it as a vanity project for Dick Clark, uh, while I was watching the movie, kind of going in with that theory that that's what this was, I kept thinking, God, if this is a vanity project, this is the weirdest vanity project you could have possibly done, considering what his character does. And just how he, he right. himself is portrayed on screen. Um, as for whether it's more than a vanity project, like I, I think it's maybe it's either something different than a vanity project or it's a bad vanity project. But <laughs> I hesitate to call it something more than anything. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about Dick Clark. Um, he's not the star of the film. He's uh, the main character's buddy, Roger, and. I was kind of surprised when we're introduced to this character and he's kind of this bumbling loser. Uh, I was not expecting that. I'd kind of describe him as like a nerdy Burgess Meredith type character from a Twilight Zone episode. I mean, his first scene when he shows up is uh, he's meeting up with Johnny and uh, he doesn't even know that they have a kid now. They kind of lost touch. And he gives him like, oh, here, I got you a wedding gift. And it's an ant farm. 
And and I feel like that sets the tone for how like kind of out of it this character is and kind of a nerd and just weird. And at that point, I don't know. I kind of liked him. Like it's kind of an interesting character. Like this is yeah. not what I was expecting from Dick Clark, like for him to play this character. And then I was actually kind of surprised. I don't know if you feel this way, but I thought his performance wasn't that bad either. I mean, yeah. acting wise, I was kind of impressed. I mean, not knowing. I, I, yeah, I, as far as I know, he's never acted ever. I mean, he maybe he has, but uh, it was new to me. Yeah. So, yeah. That was that was really interesting. His character. Uh, so how about Johnny? I mean, he is the star. Robert Walker Jr. Uh, what what what's to, what is there to say about Johnny? Huh? Uh, basically that he uh, I don't know. He's sort of trying to rip off his own. Uh, you know, moonshine running boss, and I, I guess it's implied that there's at his heart, it, it's kind of, um, you know, maybe he's doing this for his family, sort of thing. But there's also like lines of uh, dialogue where he says, like, "Oh, I can't be killed. I'm not rich yet," or something. <laughs> I don't know. The, the, it's clear that having money is very important to him. Um, but, but he also has his own moral code of like the reason why it's okay for him to steal the money is because it's okay to steal it because it's illegal dough. <laughs> like yeah. the the fact that the money is uh, the means by which it was uh, earned makes it okay for him to then steal it. Like which I don't know. <laughs> it's uh, I, I feel like his character is sort of thinly drawn. To the, and the, I, I don't, maybe it's his performance, maybe it's the writing. I didn't particularly care for him. Yeah, I mean, have you, had you ever even heard of Robert Walker Jr.? I was, I was trying to think if I, if I had or not. I, have you? No. I mean, he kind of looks like Robert Vaughn, but he's not. So, so maybe that's how he gets people. He's like, he, he hey, my name's really familiar, but I don't think I've ever seen him in anything. You know, if he was an easy writer, it says, and he was also in an episode of uh, Star Trek that was popular. Oh, wait, who do you play on Star Trek? Do you, do you have that information? <laughs> I do. He played Charlie Evans in the episode Charlie X. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. So, um, yeah. Okay. So right, Charlie I mean, X. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, he's, he's still alive, as far as I know. 74. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Do you want to get him on the show? Let's try to get him on the show. <laughs> Let's call him right now. Beep, boop, boop, boop. Um, okay. And then there's uh, all the uh, all the posters for this film and everything. They always talk about how... I mean, it's in the title of the goddamn movie, Killers 3. So I guess the third part of that three is supposed to be Carol. Right. Um, which I found kind of odd because... Um, at least in my viewing experience, this Carol character has really nothing to do do or say i mean i don't know she just kind of felt like an extension of uh or just he's just she was just johnny's girl to me like i don't know i wasn't getting like much of a fleshed out character yeah i don't know if you felt that way or uh oh yeah no i i, I mean i can't even describe her character beyond saying oh it's johnny's girl <laughs> you know um but I honestly 
for what it's worth. I, I can't describe Johnny very well. Yeah. Roger's fleshed out. Dick Clark made a point of, I mean, actually, he's really not, uh, but he's he's at least kind of like, he has quirks. Yeah. That kind yeah. of keep your eyes on him. Like, you know, at least, like, you know, he's a sissy kind of, and he doesn't really uh, <coughs> do well with other people. There's like some scenes mm-hmm. where there's this woman who's taken a fancy to him, and he's really awkward with that. Right. And there's also kind of a a running gag in the movie where at one point when he's uh when robert walker's trying to get him away so that he can talk to him about something and that girl is talking to him uh he pretends that he's his lover so that she'll leave him alone and then it becomes he's like oh why'd you do that for and then like there's a running gag that he's gay <laughs> like this weirdly yeah. very kind of like uh of its time like, homophobic gag you know but it's just so bizarre because like it, it comes up a couple times <laughs> I mean and these like little gags make up a lot more of the movie than I I thought they would because uh, you know I, I I heard saw the premise of this uh, this movie and, and and looked at the posters and everything and I just assumed that this is gonna be okay they're gonna right out of the gate they're gonna do some crime and they're gonna be on the run but yeah. really it takes like a good half an hour yeah before they even really do anything they're kind of just hanging out in this quirky dukes of hazard-esque small town with yeah, all these there's, dopey yeah. uh kind of uh people in it well that's the thing is there there's two like goofy chase scenes before the crime even happens and both of them are kind of like cartoonish like at one point uh at the like in the first five minutes of the movie i think um the bootleggers get like some grenades off of a tree <laughs> like with a little sign that says in case of emergency and they like pull the grenades that they have like tied to it. it's like a very cartoonish gag but then later in the movie the drama gets so heavy and, and like the, the violence has like more consequence like it, there's just very jarring tonal shifts there i don't know i i, I was gonna yeah which is too bad because i at times kind of enjoyed some of the humor in this movie like me too i don't think it ever like early on i don't know if it really serves the narrative but like it does look like whoever wrote this uh dick clark and some guy i guess uh, took the time to kind of create a world with and populated by offbeat characters and had jokes and stuff yeah like there's some kind of funny ideas in here yeah. Uh, it, it just yeah it takes some really weird turns now and then it's like it's like a half realized project i mean mm-hmm. i i they that's like they didn't know where to f- draw the line between is this a comedy or is this like we're saying something about crime and poverty um i don't know because there's there's some other really scenes the uh, uh scenes that i guess lend themselves a little bit more to the drama but uh, of course, these uh, characters they uh, go forth with this crime, and then they're fighting off police officers, and then they kind of become folk heroes, which is highlighted by this really annoying <laughs> recurring theme music, I guess, by Merle Haggard that like explains the whole plot of the movie. Yeah, the Greek chorus of Merle Haggard. Right? <laughs> It's basically like, so they robbed the bank, and then they got the money, and got in the car, and then they shot a man, and then they went to this barn, and then they went over here. <laughs> it's so, like, it really does explain what we're watching. It's amazing. Like, I know, I just saw that. But anyways, uh, after they become folk heroes, I remember a scene where they just, they go into this uh, general store, and they're kind of like, 
the people there are just impressed with him. Like, wow, you're you're the guy. You're this, you're this. Uh, I know you're a killer, but you're like famous. And and the way that they're kind of like just entranced by that. I mean, I'm not really sure what it's trying to say, but there's something really interesting about that to me. About seeing how someone when they're confronted with uh, someone who's a controversial figure, but is also like famous and they're in my store and, you know, I'm out in the sticks and there's scenes like that, that like, is this movie trying to say something about like those kind of Bonnie and Clyde type folk hero type people and like how they fit into the grand scheme of things in our society. But I, I, I don't know what they're trying to say, but I feel like they're attempting something. And that was kind of interesting to me. I, I definitely see that, like, because there are those those moments where it does play up the folk hero aspect. Like, at one point, like, they're stopped in the middle of the road and kind of similar interaction. Like, with, like these kids are asking, uh, oh, did you kill somebody? Or uh, something to that effect. I don't know. Like, but they're, those town folk that are kind of in awe of them. Um, but then I, I feel like maybe that's, because t- to me, this movie really did take a huge page out of the Bonnie and Clyde book. Yeah. Um, I think this was Bonnie Clyde was the year before this was released, so I'm mm-hmm. assuming it went to production when that movie was, you know, um, really doing well. Uh, so I, I feel like maybe they they saw that aspect in Bonnie and Clyde, and we're just sort of incorporating it here because, like you say, it is it, it is an interesting idea, but I, I don't know how much it's actually like within the movie explored. I guess. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, they're going for something. <laughs> yeah. Just don't know uh, what. And I feel like that kind of sums up uh, the movie in general in that there's a lot of... Uh, like, like you can go down to the production value where it seems like the movie's like kind of half-finished or like it's not fully edited. Like, they didn't quite get it down to what it was supposed to be. Yeah. I mean, like, there's some really bad editing in this movie. Like, I mean, I can't really <laughs> explain it to you, but there's just like... I mean, to someone who hasn't seen it, I mean, but there's some oh, God, scenes yeah. that really like are uh, again jarring because of how they cut to the next scene, or really or, bad, or really sloppy, or like it's like a it's like a crappy kind of cutaway that you'd see on like a TV show, like a comedy TV show, like The Monkees or yeah. something. No, within the within the first part of the movie, like I was thinking, like, is this like? Are they going for almost like a French New Wave kind of thing? Where but then I realized, oh no, they're just really bad. <laughs> you wonder who was working on this movie, and as far as I know, there wasn't a lot of like big talent. I mean, aside from Dick Clark and his production company, well, perhaps the biggest talent of all, Dick Clark. Yeah, um, no. but yeah, no, I, I agree, and, and not only the editing, which is is pretty bad, uh, or just kind of um jarring like you said yeah but also like like the framing there's some very basic like uh, just within the frame like compositions uh within the camera that i I think are just kind of amateurish like there's scenes where they're kind of just in the middle of the frame like without any reason or 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 heads being kind of cut off by it. it just i don't know sort of like things that we learned at central you know what i mean yeah um, um you know it's kind of like they were just learning to make a movie on the fly yeah which was uh it's kind of interesting to watch but uh isn't you know it definitely has its downfalls you know what speaking of production value there's one thing i have to bring up that was just like 
so irritating to me when I watched it. And that was the uh, the main character, Johnny, is... Uh, I think I said his name was Tony or something. His, the, his yeah. son, whenever he speaks, yeah. he's, like, dubbed in. And yeah. it sounds like he's being dubbed in by an adult woman trying to do a kid's voice. <laughs> and it just it's just horrible. There's one... I only I only remember one um but I, I wrote down this one line this uh, kid said that was basically uh we go to California now like California and it's we go to California now like that's how a kid talks and I was like so what was the original take of that like like what are they <laughs> was it really worse than that That is rough yeah and every time this this kid doesn't speak a lot, but every time he talks, because he's with them, I don't know if I mentioned that. Yeah, he's with the the killers right. three, so it's really like the killers three and a half. <laughs> with Angus T. Jones is the <laughs> killers three and a half. Um, but that is uh, just another great example of uh, the level of quality of production on this film. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you can also bring in. Um, uh, the the music and how not good that is most of the time uh a lot of the time at least in the chases it's kind of like crappy tv show like wacky racers music Uh, i guess early on in the film it suits the tone yeah um but not late certainly not later on though i feel like later on the film is pretty much carried by that merle haggard theme that I don't know. That song must be like ten minutes long. Yeah, yeah. Because it covers the whole movie. He's kind of like the Simon um, and Garfunkel to this movie's graduate. Uh, where it just exactly, exactly. Yeah. You know, that's another thing. Um, speaking of Merle Haggard, it was weird. I was just watching the movie, and then I don't know if I just wasn't paying attention. He just appeared suddenly. <laughs> uh, did he have any like real stake in this, or was he just like because he was a dedicated lawman that wanted to take care of this? Was that all he had going for? As him, far or? as I could tell, I mean, I don't know if it, it goes beyond just these guys are criminals and need to be caught. Um, yeah, but yeah, I, I was also I didn't realize uh, either that he had that role. Yeah, suddenly he's just in there as some police guy. Yeah. I think there's one scene where he plays a guitar. Um, uh, and I can only imagine this is just like someone Dick Clark had like a connection to. He's like, hey, Merle, we should do something sometime. Because yeah. there's not really any reason I guess he needs to be in the movie. Um, I mean, he's not like a bad actor or anything. He's mm-hmm. fine. It just... Yeah. Is, I don't know why. It's like they, they wanted to have him involved, but they didn't really have an interesting character for him to play or anything. So... <laughs> Yeah, they just they just kind of threw him in there for some reason. So where do we go from here? Uh, I mean, the, like we were saying earlier, the last half of the film gets pretty dark and violent. Uh, do you think that was successful, or it, that at that point it just was too uh, different? Like it just didn't fit in with everything we'd seen before that. Yeah, it didn't. It well, it, I guess neither half. <laughs> of the equation fits in with the other, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, yeah. But, I, yeah, it is just kind of jarring. I guess that's the word that keeps coming up here. It, it's just, it is jarring. Um, and I, I guess if they had just decided, uh, maybe uh, chose a, a tone to stick with, but also chosen really a story to stick with, because I feel like I, I was never really sure if this was a movie about 
um, these outlaws on the run, and they're kind of, you know, evading the cops, or if it was more about, like, I don't know, the their legend kind of how, how to, you know, the, the relationships between them. I don't know. It, it just, I, I never felt like it was coherent enough <laughs> for me. I never really understood their end game either. Yeah. Like, the plan was go to California. And like, I can, I can understand it if you try to uh, paint these characters as they're just kind of scared kids. And they don't really know what they're mm-hmm. doing, but it seems like they were like really convinced that if we go to California, we'll be totally fine. Yeah. And I never understood that. It's like, so just crime doesn't apply once you're far enough away? Like, it's not even like they're going to Mexico. Was there something in there about California that made it? I don't think so. I think, yeah. <laughs> it was just a romantic idea? As far as I can tell. I mean, maybe, unless there's something I missed, uh, I, I think it, it was kind of supposed to be like, you know, these are scared kids that are in over their heads. But yeah, I, I, I don't know if they really pulled it off that way either because it just to me it just felt like all right i mean I guess you gotta get to- they gotta go somewhere <laughs> yeah, why not okay <laughs> sure it just seemed weird to me to have some random i mean like yeah. i was saying like I, I, it's okay if it yeah if if you explain that yeah they're just scared and they don't know what they're doing but i didn't like i wasn't convinced of that i felt like they they seemed like they had purpose like they seemed like they knew they had they had their shit under control yeah um so i don't know i because they really slipped into these these killer roles pretty pretty you know pretty well they they knew what they were doing after a while and um you, you know going back to that last half that last uh, i guess you just you could just say the shootout sequence um spoiler alert uh carol gets killed and the scene the movie ends like with the most depressing scene ever where uh It's weird because I never really felt I knew this character, and now everyone just feels like really bad, like they all did something wrong. When I don't know, I mean they're criminals. It, it's I, I I wasn't sure what I was supposed to feel. I just knew I feel I felt kind of bad about something, and it it just like if you think about where the movie began and then where it ended up, it just doesn't seem to work. I don't even know what to add. To no, that. yeah, I, I think uh, it just—we <laughs> don't know these characters. We don't know uh, where this is supposed to be going. We don't know what we're supposed to be feeling because the tone is so inconsistent that by the time you know she gets shot, and then we all just kind of watch this sort of makeshift uh, funeral procession back home and, and watch the kid reacts <laughs> with the weird lady overdubbing his voice, crying kind of thing. Um, I. I I just and, and you know with the Merle Haggard <laughs> tune in the in the background, um, I, I I was just kind of uh, uh, it was just so odd. I don't know. I, I I was really kind of weirded out by the little thing. And then as the credits rolled, I I just kind of went, huh? <laughs> like that was Dick Clark's <laughs> like that was you know the little twinkle in his eye. I was like, oh, I I gotta get the story told. That's that's what he it's had. gonna break me into the. I don't. I, it really. Is, I, I can't even look at this through the lens of like a big part of the handy project because that makes me think, man, what was he trying to do? That makes it even weirder, you know. And yeah, you know what's really weird for me is on top of all the things we said about this, I didn't really 
dislike this movie for some yeah. reason. Like, <laughs> I feel like, yeah, it's it, it doesn't really make a lot of sense, but I feel like, like I was saying earlier, it's like people were learning how to make a film while they were making it. And it had a kind of almost like a student film charm to it in the moments where it worked or something. And I don't know. I found some parts kind of charming. And, like, I admired I admired that they were going for it. Like, I felt like I was rooting for them. Like, come on, you can do this. You can get through this sequence. Like, what are we, what are we, what's coming next? <laughs> you know, I felt like there's an earnest uh, kind of effort behind okay, this. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm, <laughs> I don't know. I kind of liked parts of it, even though... Like everything we said, I still stand by that. Like it's totally jarring. It's edited pretty poorly. Production value is not great. Yeah. The performances maybe are inconsistent. Um, I think Dick Clark probably gives, in my uh, at least in my opinion, the best of the three. Uh, he's kind of interesting. I'd say so. uh, there's little things I liked about it that it was trying to do. <laughs> Yeah, I've, I'm surprised uh, that I came to that conclusion, but I just, I didn't really, I don't really feel like I want to, like, you know, condemn this film or be me be mean to it, because I feel like it's trying. Yeah. Like, you know, you're just, like, rooting for, like, it's like rooting for some kid on, like, a soccer team. Like, you can do it, come on. So do you want to give it a participant trophy, kind of? <laughs> I mean, yeah, participant, or, like, uh... Yeah. Not not most improved. <laughs> It'd be most improved if it got like really good at the yeah. end. <laughs> you ever seen that? You ever gone to a movie that's really like or seen a movie that's bad, but then like near the end it gets good? Yeah, and then I'm like, okay, well grading on a curve just based on the <laughs> Just just to go off tangent for a bit, this is a terrible movie that I saw in theaters, but Hollywood Homicide with Pearson <laughs> yeah. Ford. Terrible movie, but the last ten minutes, hilarious. <laughs> Because the last half of that movie, Harrison Ford, I don't remember what he's doing, but he's after some criminal, and it turns into like this jokey, like, oh, we gotta go catch the criminal, I gotta steal this kid's bike, and you know, stuff like that. Like, and I was like, why couldn't the whole movie have been like this? Why couldn't it have been a wacky comedy from beginning to end? So there's there's a movie that gets my most Hollywood Homicide most improved. That's hilarious. Oh my god, that's the one with Josh Hartnett, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I forgot mm. that existed. And do you know do you, do you, I, do what I know about that movie is for some reason, <laughs> the first thing I think about that movie is that it has three people in it. It has Eric Idle, Corrupts, and Andre 3000. Oh, all, yeah. all my three favorite actors. <laughs> Together at last. <laughs> and the, they should have been the killers too. <laughs> Should've. There's a there's a movie. All right, well to, that's uh, uh, we, from now on. If I ever see a movie that improves a lot at the end, I'll give it the Hollywood Homicide Most Improved Award. <laughs> um, yeah, I I do get what you're saying about about the movie. I think there is is charm the right word? Like maybe it's it is. I th I mean for me it is. I think I, yeah. Charm. I mean I would say. There, there are different times where I was like, you know, I bet Quentin Tarantino owns like the real, like the, <laughs> like the actual <laughs> cancer film, and he watches it in his basement. And it's like, oh yeah, I gotta call Robert Rodriguez. We're gonna do, we're gonna shoot this exact scene, like <laughs> because it has that sort of appeal. Like I, I, I right. can almost like picture the <laughs> the drive-in where this was playing. 
Um, and I guess there's that sort of energy that's just inherent in that kind of thing. And I, and I, I do kind of... It, it goes down smoother than a movie that... Um, I don't know. It, it, I'm trying to think of an example that we've watched for this show. But, like, like uh, you know, I, I don't think that this is a better movie than Jack Reacher, necessarily, from a filmmaking standpoint. <laughs> but they're, I think they're both... Jack Reacher is a misfire that kind of didn't go down so smooth for me, whereas this is, you know, not not super good. <laughs> but um, I, I, I was certainly never bored, <laughs> like, because there was just so much to kind of chew on with what this movie was trying to do and what it ended up doing. So yeah, you're just kind of trying to figure it out the whole way. <laughs> it's like Inception. You're trying. To <laughs> yeah. So I guess when it comes down to recommending it, it's kind of like, do you want to put in the time? to figure this out and i think i um when it comes to recommending i'd say if you're on netflix and you somehow come into this movie (laughs) cross paths with this movie and you are and you you're looking and you're mildly interested you're like should i or shouldn't i i think then i'd recommend it like in the grand scheme of things i wouldn't but i feel like if somehow you've discovered it then you know check it out it's it's kind of interesting to see um uh like a lesser um, filmmaker or just group of filmmakers kind of take their stab at making their new Hollywood type film, you know? Okay, yeah. Because there's a lot of great films that were like that, you know, in the late 60s, early 70s, that kind of new wave uh, director's uh, movement. Oops, Sorry, a little buzz there. Yeah. <coughs> and this is a film that I feel like wants to be like those films. I mean, obviously <laughs> wants to be like Bonnie and Clyde. Uh, and it doesn't really ever reach, I mean, even close to the level of those other kinds of films, but just the fact that it wants to be one of those films, <laughs> I don't know. It's kind of, it's kind of interesting. So it's a my, it's a very mild recommendation for me just because I thought it's kind of funny. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it, like on that note, uh, on the IMDb trivia page, it actually says that it was on a double bill with the uh, Boxcar Bertha which was one of Martin Scorsese's first movies that he made for uh, Corman. And, um, you know, it is kind of in that era of those, uh, that new Hollywood era of those filmmakers coming up. But, you know, there's, I think there's a reason. Having, I haven't seen Box Red Bertha, but it, it's worth noting that uh, Bruce Kessler did, did not get to make his mean streets, <laughs> you know. Um but, oh, yeah. but yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying. That that appeals definitely there. I would say I, I I don't necessarily recommend the movie, but I can sort of uh, I would say give a fair recommendation to the experience of watching the movie. Um, if you, if you are on a lazy Sunday or you're doing something else and you have 88 minutes to to spare, you could you can have a worse and certainly less weirdly fascinating background noise than Killer's 3. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Alright. Killer's 3. I, a movie I... You know, that's that's one of the, the great things about this podcast. Discovering movies I had no idea existed. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes I understand why. But, uh, this... <laughs> uh, Killer's 3. So, yeah, check it out if you want. It's on Netflix. Uh, this goes. Uh, this leads us into the part of our show where we go to the Netflix randomizer. That's where we uh, use an app on all flicks called the Netflix randomizer that 
randomly uh, generates uh, Netflix titles. This is how we select our films, and we're going to go through it three times. I don't think we're going to put any parameters on this week. I'm just switching it to movies. Uh, it's still a little too early to do uh, some Christmas movies, but I know we'll get into that uh, in time. So I got it all uh, set up on my end, so I'm going to go ahead and click, and let's see what we get. So option number one. Okay, um, the movie is called Shab Charitro Kalponic. I think it's Indian. Uh, the uh, This doesn't look very good. Okay, so 98 minutes, romantic. When the poet Indranil dies, a publisher asks his wife Radhika to complete his works. This propels her into a deep reflection about her marriage and the man she shared a life with and considered divorcing. Uh, so this is some sort of foreign drama. It, the poster's really bad. It looks very cheaply made. Um, I pray we don't have to review this. Let's see. <laughs> let's, let's move on to uh, let's move on to option two. I will click again. All right, option two. This is an interesting looking title. It's a movie called Ant Boy from 2013. S- 76 minutes. Okay. Sci-fi and fantasy. After being bitten by an ant, 12-year-old Pell acquires mysterious new powers and elects to develop his very own superpower identity, Ant Boy. Okay. Uh, looking looking at the cast, I think this movie, it's, it's Swedish or Scandinavian. <laughs> uh, it looks kind of funny. Like, it looks like this could be kind of funny to watch. Okay. Uh... Ant Boy, I'm not familiar with it. It's it's only 76 minutes, so you know that's that's pretty easy to do. But uh, I'll click it one more time for option number three. And we have ah, I've heard of this. It's Lady Vengeance, 2005, a thriller from Chenwick Park, the final installment of director Chenwick Park's Revenge trilogy. Chronicles the efforts of Lee Goom Ja to track down the man who betrayed her. Um, I've seen Old Boy. I believe that's also that's part of the. Uh, is that part of the Revenge trilogy? It's gotta be. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's the second one. The it's second it's kind one. of a. I think the it's like a thematic uh, trilogy. You know, like it's not like. Yeah, I mean, I know it's not like. Yeah, yeah but I was. Yeah, just... exactly. <laughs> Because I feel like he's done some other films that are dark, too, so I'm not really sure. But that could be interesting. I've only seen... Uh, no, I saw his American film, too. Yeah. Uh, Stoker. So uh, that could be interesting to check out. I don't know. Have you seen that one? No, actually, I haven't seen any of his movies. Hmm. That, you know, that could be pretty interesting. Yeah. So, uh, but I don't know. I mean, is, is interesting as Ant Boy? I don't know. <laughs> I can't answer that. But... Maybe I can answer that on next week's episode of Stream Police. Uh, if you like what you heard, you can check this out uh, on mildlypleased.com or on iTunes. Uh, and, you know, just Google us. I'm sure you'll run into Stream Police somewhere on them internets. Somewhere uh, on them. Yeah. I don't know. Mike, Michael, do you have any last words? Um, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, actually, I just want to say that uh, I will, I keep saying this, I know, but I'm, I'm going to kind of refurbish 
the old Tumblr page, and um, and yeah, uh, next week we'll uh, hopefully have something that will uh, more aesthetically <laughs> pleasing uh, to show. And uh, you know, it's funny. <laughs> Is that what? It's <laughs> just funny every time I say any last words. I I'd always imagine like you're at the. <laughs> You're at you're at the guillotine. You're up there. Oh, wait, everybody, just so you know, before you kill me, uh, oh, before you know, I mean, I'm gonna up the, I'm gonna update. Uh... Isn't that what Marie Antoinette said when she was when it was about to come down? Uh, yeah, so, you know. Okay, I don't know. I'm gonna update the Tumblr. Uh, no, no, that's good. Um, so yeah, uh, well, I guess we'll see you next time. Uh, thanks for joining us. See ya. Johnny Water carried whiskey through the Carolina hills. Hey, Johnny was a runner and lived life with many thrills. But for a little bit, they paid him, wouldn't feed his family. So he dreamed of California and the new life there would be.